Welcome to Boomers on Fire with educator, philanthropist, and mentor, Dr. Cynthia. Get ready to refire your life by listening to inspiring interviews with vibrant boomers who are rocking their retirement. Whatever the retiree is doing, we want you to hear about it so that it will spark something in you so that you can decide how you want to live in your second half of life. You will be exposed to new possibilities and new opportunities. It's time to refire, reinvent, and reimagine your second half of life with your host, Dr. Cynthia. Today, it's my greatest honor to introduce you to Acacia. Hello, Acacia, and welcome. Thank you, Cynthia. Hello. Good to speak with you. Okay. I want to tell everybody a little bit about you, because just from the moment I interviewed you several years ago, when you were in Thailand, I was intrigued with your lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) Acacia and her husband, Billy, retired at the age of 38. During the last 22 years, they have lived in the States and overseas and have traveled in an RV for over two years. Today, at age 60, Billy and Acacia already have more years in retirement experience than most people will have over an entire lifetime. They share their experience, wisdom, and travel escapades in their book, The Adventurous Guide to Early Retirement, which is available for downloads from their website, Retire Early Lifestyle. They've traveled the world on less than 30000 a year. Just about every page of their recently published ebook, Your Retirement Life Dream is Possible, is graced with beautiful photographs from their travels in Guatemala, Vietnam, Australia, China, Ecuador, Belize, Mexico, New Zealand, Bali, Thailand, and the Philippines. And now they're in Mexico. Now, um, Acacia, you've been enjoying life while young enough to take full advantage of financial freedom. What inspired you to retire so early? It was the choice to have freedom in our lives, to come and go on our own speed, to be able to see cultures for more than a two-week period at a time. Uh, Billy and I are sort of individualistic, and we like to call our own shots whenever possible. So although we're very responsible, we had jobs that were taking too much of our life energy, and so we decided to choose freedom instead. Oh, wow, that's excellent. I love it. So, um, you know, approximately how much in investment assets did you have when you first retired? When people hear that you retired at age 38, I guess that many of them think that you were millionaires. We were not, and we had about $500,000 at the time, and because my husband is an excellent investor, we have more now than we did when we started. Wow. How is that so? Um, He is able to make money through the market. He saves um, losses. He prevents losses, and um, that is huge because you can buy and hold, but if you watch the roller coaster go up and down, then you're just back where you started. So he's able to prevent um, our having losses, which means that we start with a better base, and then the next time the market gains, we buy in again. Wow, that's amazing. So, Acacia, is early retirement everything you expect it to be? It's more. 
I didn't really know exactly what it was going to be, but since we're able to choose what we want to do, where we want to go, what we want to learn, it's been like an open canvas, and that can be a little intimidating. So initially it took us a little while to get our muscles together, you know, but it's, it's more than, I, I wouldn't trade this life for anything. Oh, I mean the freedom, the, the word freedom just really exudes such wonderful energy. Yes. So have you ever come across other people who try to do what you're doing but their plans failed? Yes, and it's, it's failed a lot of times not so much because of the money but because of the emotional approach or they were not adaptable to change or they wanted everything like home but cheaper. And when you travel the world, everything is not like home. That's why you travel the world. So any common mistakes that they made? Um, I would say that it would be a lack of flexibility. Um, different cultures do things differently, whether it's the food that they offer, the spices they use, maybe even sanitation. There might be a, a, a trash on the ground in some of these poor countries, or there could be shared bathrooms in a hostel, or any of those types of things. Um, people would worry about how things are not like they are back home. They, they wanted to have their own car, which sometimes it's better for all sorts of reasons not to have your own vehicle. And so they basically wanted to have the same lifestyle that they had back home, except they wanted to travel the world in all these foreign countries while doing it and not have it cost them any more. And, and it's, it's an emotional approach. It's, it's an attitudinal approach, not a financial approach. So to live this kind of life, you really have to be prepared in your mind and really do um, mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, I was just going to say, I think prepared in the mind, it's more like you have to have the attitude of being flexible, of being adventurous, of what's today going to bring, uh, what good thing is today going to bring, not like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen to me today, and just accept that, that the world is a wide and various place, and all of those things are, are joyous and wonderful, not threatening. Excellent. I can see why you, why you and Billy have been doing it for 22 years and still enjoying it. <laughs> yes, it's really fun. Yeah. So where are you living now? As early retirees, what does your typical day look like? Well, currently we are house-sitting in an expat community called Chapala, Lake Chapala in Mexico. And we are house-sitting a home that's got four bedrooms, three bathrooms, and it's the only house on the lake, so we have a 180-degree view of the lake itself. Um, we have integrated house-sitting into our travel plans, which is one way to affect the housing costs in a positive manner. And so we have all the comforts of home. We have maids and gardeners and kitchens, and we can use any bathroom or bedroom we want. And we're right, we're walking distance right into town, so there's restaurants and we meet our friends and, and that sort of thing. So how did you land that house-sitting job? Well, each time is different. This particular one happens to be um, some friends of ours, but they caught themselves, they were in a bind. Their last uh, house-sitter person was not able to do what they wanted to have done. And it was like the day before they were leaving to go back to uh, northern states in the United States. And they needed someone desperately, and we just happened to be here at the time and said, well, we'll do it. We'll house we'll at your house. And it just fell into place. But other times, we have um, utilized the service. 
That's exact excellent. So when you say you utilize the service, how do you do that? Um, house sitting services are available. You can look them up on the internet. There's um, many different styles, many different types. I mean, like Australia has one just for Australia and um, United States or worldwide. And if you join these house services, typically they're um, twenty-five or fifty dollars a year. So it's really affordable, and you make that back on your on your first house sit typically. And so then people list their homes and you put on a profile about how wonderful you are and how responsible you are and, and your particular skills, like if you know gardening or, or um, uh, you know a certain kind of pets that you can take care of. And then it's like a, a matchmaking service. You They either approach you or you approach them and then the conversation begins. Wow, that's an excellent idea. I never heard of that one before. I didn't oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, I didn't realize it could house sit all over the world. Oh, in castles, in, in Scotland, in France, in, in Tuscany, and in, in, on the beach in Spain. I mean, everywhere. It's just it's a fabulous way to see the world. Wow. Uh, and to see the world without spending a lot of money in hotels. Exactly. And you have access to a kitchen, so it's a lot more cozy. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. So why have you chosen to live in all these other different countries? We like adventure. We like variety. Um, when I was in college, my major was anthropology, so I like native peoples. Billy's a photographer, so all the color, all the costumes, all the different foods. We used to own a restaurant. Billy was a French chef, so we like different kinds of foods. You know, so for us, it's the perfect marriage of, you know, the colorful lifestyles, the different languages, the different foods, the mountains, the deserts, the the customs, you know, the, the clothing, all of it is just, it's like a National Geographic lifestyle. Wow. That's really, that's really amazing. It's a lifestyle I sure would like to adopt at some point. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So um, the, how do you handle medical insurance and health insurance and all those things as you travel around the world? We generally utilize local health care wherever it is that we are. Some nations are better at it than others. Um, in the beginning years, we had a, a catastrophic health plan, but we were out of, based in the United States, but we were out of the U.S. so much of the year that we were paying monthly for something we would not be using at all. There would be no chance of using it. So then a couple of years ago, we um, it's called going naked. So we went naked of a health insurance policy and decided that when we travel to the state, we would just purchase uh, travel insurance. And then when we are in any other country in the world, we just utilize the local health services. Wow. And I know not too long ago, Keisha, you had an accident with one of your fingers. Yeah, and that, uh, yeah, that was a, a complete surprise. I never um, saw it coming. I never felt it happen. But I was disembarking from a bus, and the last step on a bus is very steep. Meanwhile, my the rings on my right finger had caught on something, maybe a screw or a nail or something. I've never seen it before or since, but it caught on something. And when I disembarked, my body weight made the ring slice into my finger, and I almost lost my finger. Wow. And was, yeah. Yeah, was this, did this happen in Mexico? It happened in Guatemala. Oh. And how was the, um, the medical facilities there? Well, what had happened was one minute I was on the bus, and the next minute I'm on my knees bleeding. 
I had cut my arteries and I could see my my bone. It was called degloving. And I told my husband, this is serious. And then that was pretty much the last thing I remember. Uh, Billy uh, shoved me into a little tuk-tuk at the three-wheeled vehicle. And we just told the man to the hospital. And so he took us to the nearest hospital, which was nationally run. And those doctors um, stitched me up and wrapped me up and told me if there was any problem then I was to return. And so what ended up happening, long story short, was that I did have an issue, the blood was not moving to the fingers, so I had to contact another woman who does a medical tourism service, and she put me in contact with all the right people, and I was able to have my surgeries and all that through her. That's excellent. So traveling the way you travel, uh, medical service is not an issue. It isn't really, for the most part. I mean, for for most things, like if you have an ache, a pain, the flu, or if a tooth goes, um, you know, cracks on you or something, all of that's taken care of very locally and very easily in most countries. In the condition that Billy and I had, we needed to go to the next city. Um, Billy was sick also once with an emergency, and but we're able to go to these hospitals in in the next city. And you know, your hotel. Um, people that you're renting a hotel from or taxi drivers, they all know, first of all, that you're a tourist, and second of all, the word hospital, you know. Mm-hmm. So you, you get to these places, and then most of the doctors speak English, and you go from there. Excellent. Excellent. Wow, what a life. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Keisha, what were, you, um, what were you and Billy's career before you retired? Um, Billy was a French chef. He was trained... Um, in star, Michelin star restaurants in Cincinnati, Ohio. We met in California and we went to Europe for six months where he worked in, in France in a restaurant. And then we came home and purchased our own restaurant. We had that for about five years together where Billy was the chef and I managed uh, the, the employees and, and the bills and that sort of thing. And then Billy was recruited um, by Dean Witter Reynolds because Billy has a very good business sense. And so for the next five years, Billy worked on Wall Street, and I ran the restaurant. And how was that kind of a lifestyle for you? Um, well, the how I could I guess I could describe it as we were making good money because we were both working all the time, but we had no quality of life in that. We couldn't see each other, and um, the stress was really high. I was working nights, weekends, and holidays, and Billy was working um, Monday through Friday from early in the morning because of the difference between New York and California. And so our our uh, schedules, our working schedules, were 180 degrees off. So on a personal level, it was not as fulfilling, which is what brought us to we needed to do something, and we decided to quit working and travel the world. Amazing. At 38. What a decision to make at 38. That's amazing, Acacia. Yes, it was Billy's idea, and I was pretty scared, and I thought the idea was pretty dumb. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess he finally convinced you that it was okay. Yes, he did. He has a way. (laughs) (laughs) So, so um, how do you create income now to provide for your early retirement? We live off of our investments. And we have always lived off our investments. Um, we sell stock as we need to live. And because Billy is skilled at investing and prevents our losing 
uh, very much money during market downturns, we have accumulated more. And so we don't really have an income. We can choose to have dividends if we want, but we generally just sell off a stock as we need it to pay for our, our uh, lifestyle. So, so if someone wants to, to do this kind of a lifestyle and they don't have the stock investments and stuff like that, what mm-hmm. would, you know, what would you recommend for them? Um, well, I would say to try and impact, um, your housing costs, your transportation costs, your tax liabilities, and, um, what you do in terms of your style of entertainment and eating. Those are the four categories of the largest expenditures in a household. So if you would like to travel, or even if you don't, you if you impact your housing, say for instance you sell your house, or you rent a part of it out, or you do a house exchange, or you go house sitting, anything that you would do that affects the housing, because that's generally your, one of your largest expenses, that, that can add to your living budget rather than your paying budget. And the same thing with transportation. We sold our car years ago. We no longer own a car. And it's one of the um, best things we ever did. Excellent. So someone can still live that kind of a lifestyle. I mean, just the whole house sitting idea is yeah. a great way because if you take care of the house and you give up your car and yeah. you, you really get very frugal on the way you eat, um, yeah. it sounds like it's very doable. Oh, it's very doable. And, you know, when you consider if you own a home and own a car and you pay insurances and maintenance and tax, property taxes and um, repairs and that kind of thing, there's all of that infrastructure. We call it infrastructure. And you're supporting the infrastructure so that you can own a home and a car. And if you modify that in any way, whether you do house exchange, if you decide you don't want to sell your home but you do house exchange, that's another way that you can... Uh, visit another area and they stay in your home and you stay in theirs, you know, but, but open your mind to other ways of, of places to live. That sounds like a very sound idea. And actually, I'm thinking that if somebody really wanted to start that lifestyle, they can start with the house exchange. Absolutely. And do it maybe once or twice a year and see how it feels and then they can make a decision, do I want to do this full time? Sure. Absolutely. Or you could um, have someone watch your home, a neighbor or a family member, and do a house sit for a week, mm-hmm. you know, across the across town or in the next state. Uh, you could do it for a vacation for a month. They go to Spain. And if your own home is being cared for, um, you know, then you can do a, a house sit somewhere else and have a fabulous vacation and then come back to your own home. Wonderful. So what kind of personal characteristics do you contribute most? To, um, to your financial success? To our financial success? Um, I would say independence, for one. We didn't um, just follow the crowd. We have a probably a larger risk tolerance than, than the average person, perhaps. That, that is a guess, but I'm after speaking with so many people, I would say that we have structured our portfolio, like I say, not to have income, but rather we sell as we go along whereas a lot of people we've spoken to structure in terms of income, which, of course, then they pay uh, income tax on. So I would say that risk tolerance, independence, uh, um, a sense of adventure, not following the crowd, um, that, that sort of thing, that, that would be what I would say. So it's really like um, stepping out of the box. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Life isn't um, a continuous vacation. There's got to be some downsides. What is it? Um, let's see. Well, it's definitely not a, vaca- a continuous vacation mm-hmm. because that sort of lifestyle is very expensive to do anything and everything at, at the drop of a hat without uh, concern for the cost of it. But the downside, because we're self-motivated, we're self-starters, both Billy and I, we never get bored. I mean, there's always something we're learning, either a language or how to, how, I'm an artist, so I learn like art techniques and we like to read so that we get our news online and we download books and there's always a language to learn. So, you know, we go out and practice our languages and of course it's photography. So we're always doing photography and then we write stories and, and that sort of thing. So we're very self-starters and we don't get bored. I do miss my family, but I tend to visit them for about a month every year. So, you know, we've just had to adapt to the different type of life. Sounds like you're very disciplined and, and uh, very careful about how you spend your time. And, and like it's not just like straight vacation. You're using it like your canvas, you know, to learn yeah. languages and to, to really understand about people. Yes, uh, it's just, just, you know, when you travel, it's like if you go to a particular city and you find out that there's, there's an archaeological site, I mean, to read up on that site, so you know the people that live there, the people who buried the site or made the site, and then there, there's a language, and then, of course, there's all the nature things. I mean, it, it, it's like being in a, a National Geographic college where the mind is constantly stimulated with everything, whether it's the food or the music or the landscape or the history or the or the people themselves and the culture. And for us, uh, it's... It, it, it's fulfilling, you know, for us it's a challenge and exciting and, you know, it, it fills a lot of places in in, um, in our lives. That is really, really, really cool. So, <laughs> so, so where do you see, where do you see yourself in another, say, 15 to 20 years? Um, I would probably have to say that by... 15 or 20 years, I would say that our traveling would probably have slowed down, that we would be um, renting in a foreign country in a a small place. I'd probably be very involved in volunteer work because we do volunteer um, our time as we travel. So I would probably be in a community where I would be doing something um, on the volunteer side. And the same with Billy. Billy is very volunteer-oriented. And I would probably be doing my artwork and still still reading like crazy and still learning my my languages and and that sort of thing. So I, I, I think probably I would be traveling more in my mind. But you know, at 80 years old, I'd probably be traveling less with my body. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So you say you do some volunteer in your communities. What kind of volunteer work do you do? Um, Billy was able to build two tennis courts in here in Chapala, Mexico, um, for a city park on federal land. And there were four tennis courts already that the complex, in order to qualify for tournaments for the big city, needed to have six. And so he, he volunteered his time and he organized all the construction workers and had them dig the ground and so on. And he built two full-size tennis courts, which now the the park itself utilizes that as income uh, for the park. Wow. Um, I taught massage to the natives here in um, 
in Chapala, and they now utilize that skill of massage in, in, as, as a currency exchange. So, like, if they want to buy a chicken or something, um, they can massage somebody oh. and exchange that for a chicken. That is beautiful, really beautiful. So, I, I love the way that it's not just about you and Billy. You're reaching out and helping other people. It's excellent. It's such an exchange, and even in the volunteering, we can't figure out who gets more on which side of the of the scale. You know, we we enjoy it because we're constantly learning. And when I taught the massage, for instance, I mean that was a free. All they had to do was show up. There was no cost to it. And sometimes these these women would bring these base goods or something from their garden, or you know, some of the men would tell jokes in Spanish and would help me with my Spanish and. I mean, it was just such an exchange, such a cultural and human exchange that it was touching. Oh, that is really special because I really truly believe in giving back. It's not just about me and my children. It's about giving back to the community. Absolutely. And it, and I do agree with you. I get more joy out of it even than the people I'm giving to. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, Acacia, what is one piece of advice for others who would like to retire early? What what kind of advice would you give them? I would say start now. Um, track your spending. Monitor what, how much you spend on everything so you know where it's going uh, and to um, get a handle on what that is because if you know what you're spending, then you know what you can afford. And if you have a, a, a yearly spendable amount or a daily spendable amount, then you can you can manage living anywhere. Excellent. So some, if somebody is even 60 mm-hmm. and they want to make a plan to, to at least try that kind of lifestyle for a month or so, um, what specific thing would you tell that person to do? I would say um, write down everything that they spend. Mm-hmm. And that way you know what you're spending on your housing and um, what you're spending on your food, what you're spending on transport, what you're spending on entertainment. Um, you would find out that maybe you don't need um, all of the subscriptions that you have or the, the telephone service that you have. And then once you see that the that there's, you can live on just a certain amount of money, this is exclusive of say, um, property tax and insurances and that kind of stuff because if you can get out from under that sort of infrastructure and manage the cost per day that it's costing you to live, then you become, you are able to walk down the road of freedom. Excellent. I love your whole freedom analogy. So I I know that you have a free bonus for our listeners. Can you tell them where and how to get it? Yes. We have a, a download called Cut and Run. And it's our first time, 200 days of our retirement, and it's done from a very personal point of view. And you can get it uh, for free download at our website at retireearlylifestyle.com. And uh, you would use the code REFIRE, and then we would know that you want that particular uh, free download. Excellent. And that report is just priceless. So make sure you check out their website retireearlylifestyle.com So, thank you so much, Acacia. This has been a wonderful, eye-opening interview for me. And I'll always remember about that house exchange. Yes. So, Acacia, thank you so much.
That's all for this episode of Boomers on Fire. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of Boomers on Fire, I would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast to get automatic notifications when I publish a new episode. I would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and review to help spread the word and help more women reignite the second half of their lives. 